Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president of ABS. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, I welcome Anna Bullard. Anna currently serves as the Vice President of Government Relations for the BHCOE, that's the Behavioral Health Center of Excellence, the national accreditation body for ABA providers. Most notably, Anna successfully passed legislation named after her daughter. Such an accomplishment. Her daughter, Ava, um, had been diagnosed with autism, and Ava's law was created to access therapy for individuals diagnosed with autism in the state of Georgia. Recognized consistently for performance, excellence, and contribution to the autism field, Anna has over a decade of experience in developing policy and advocating at the state and federal level. Additionally, she has developed payer relations to increase access to quality care while developing capacity for growth. Her knowledge as a parent who has experienced the struggles of getting services for her child has allowed her to develop a streamlined approach for families to access care in a timely manner. Anna worked for Chance Light Behavioral Health prior to joining the team at the BHCOE, integrating acquisitions, developing processes for timely patient intake, and managing multi-site teams for contracting, credentialing, and authorizations. Her perseverance and knowledge in government relations and business development has led to thousands of lives accessing care nationally. Wow, Anna. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's, it's really um, uh, a great opportunity. Thank you so much, Jeff. So um, before we get too far down the road of advocacy and how you really worked to establish access to care in Georgia, I think the big question is, is where did you start? Um, a lot of times as a parent advocate, as somebody out there doing the legislative work, people don't realize the struggles that you might have gone through as a family that really pushed to say, I need to be out there speaking. I need to be out there being that voice for my child and my family right now. So what was your diagnosis journey? And, and how did your family experience that? Jeff, that's a, you know, a, a very interesting journey. And I, when, as I talk to other parents, I, you know, I'm so surprised that so many of us had such a difficult time getting a, just getting the diagnosis you know, not even, you know, not even getting into the world of trying to get ABA therapy. But for me, um, I live in a rural area. And so um, we felt like Ava had some signs, you know, like I hear a lot of parents say, we actually thought she was deaf. Um, And, you know, she was because she just had no, no sounds or words. And she would sometimes make a sound that was very vowelly, but, um, it seemed like she could not understand anything anyone was saying, follow directions. She didn't play with toys. And so we went through a series of um, ENTs. Uh, my favorite story is that an ENT told me that if I would just take the passy away from Ava, she would learn to talk. Ah. Um, so, so that was, that was fun. Um, and then another ENT said that she was just weird and, you know, I should accept that. Um, and so, you know, these were medical professionals that I'm as, as a parent having to disagree with, which mm-hmm. is obviously very difficult. And so finding a developmental pediatrician an hour and a half from me who did not accept my insurance was going to be $500 cash and uh, nine to 12 months wait. 
I called every day, literally every day until after about four weeks, she said, the secretary said, if you'll just come today, we'll get you in. And so I was like, you know what? I'll be there. Packed all three of my kids up in my car with my mom and drove an hour and a half. Um, and she diagnosed Ava with autism. I mean, it's, it's amazing that that barrier and numerous barriers that you just described exist. And I mean, it probably created your experience of saying, Hey, listen, I don't want others to have to go through that same, that same challenge, that same, Mm -hmm. um, struggle just to get what I need for my daughter. Um, this is not an experience that's unique to people who maybe haven't experienced autism. I think finding resources, even as an autism provider, as a pediatrician, as an ENT, those things are hard. Um, Have you seen changes over time with just the knowledge set of those professionals? Is it becoming something where an ENT isn't going to be making that same recommendation that Ava was just weird or that you had to take away a pacifier? Do you see that education increasing right now? You know, I really do. Um, and, and I have one of the things that I felt like was crucial was, you know, working on uh, the side with the pediatricians, um, because really they're your first line of defense. Right. They're your you know, they're uh, doing the chat um, and things like that. And so um that has, you know, been somewhere that I've put a lot of time and effort. Um, you know, once I was able to, you know, get established into, you know, the world of lobbying and politics, um, finding out the, the, you know, who the American Academy of Pediatric Lobbyists was and being able to access, you know, opportunities. I, you know, I think overall we really have started to see changes as larger organizations have really educated, you know, our licensed physicians more and more. Um, but honestly, I mean, the rural areas, it, it still is very difficult. I mean, the, it, you know, some of that is really still not reaching out into those rural areas, um, you know, and so I think it's, there's a lot of work still to be done. So, and being from a rural area myself, I'll say is that your your experience is something that I think a lot of people around where I live they're going through the same thing. And you know what the the way that the United States is built <laughs> is that there's a lot of green open spaces out there where people who are living in those areas have to travel the the distance, pay the fee to be able to get access to care. So I could see where your passion would start from. So. After this experience of, you know, you went through the process of trying to get to a developmental pediatrician for Ava and you started to be able to understand where you needed to go, what did, what did you do next and how did you get involved beyond just being the voice for Ava, but being the voice for so many Avas out there? Well, it it was, um, a journey I never expected. Let me say that um, uh, because I, as you know, prior to Ava being diagnosed, uh, you know, once um, you know, I had some time to do some research. So I really, at that point, she got diagnosed, had done some homework on what were effective therapies, and you know, reading the Lovos study and reading, you know, literally just googling as a mom you know, um, and also having to filter through a lot of other types of things that 
that as a parent, you encounter, should I do this? Should I do, you know, um, all these other, you know, uh, experimental options or should I do ABA therapy? Um, and so I really knew that ABA therapy was the scientific method that had really proven results. And I wanted Ava to have that chance. So we pursued that and um, quickly found out through um, our insurance, a letter we received from our insurance that autism as a diagnosis was completely excluded. Um, So Ava was receiving speech therapy and once she was diagnosed, it was denied. Um, and her occupational therapy was denied. Um, I was concerned that they weren't even going to pay for her just for regular well well visits. Um, and so we, we started ABA therapy with Ava, um, at two and a half. And what we saw was exactly what I read in the research for the first time. I knew that, and I say this and autism parents can understand and it may, it's emotional for some reason, even now, like I knew Ava was in there. Like I knew she, I could tell like, like she was in there. And, mm-hmm. and, and so that is what ABA started to do for her, giving her an opportunity to be able to learn. And, and that's when I knew all the other parents who were in the same boat as me, what were they doing? You know, I was fortunate enough to have parents and a church and family members that help support us financially, um, maxing out credit cards, to be honest. I mean, Mm -hmm. just trying to pay privately because once I saw the change, I was like, this is, um, this is amazing. Um, but I was thinking, what about all these families who don't have that or who don't even know what ABA is? And that's how I got started on my journey that, you know, this was something that had to change for every child in Georgia. When they get diagnosed with autism, I wanted that person that diagnosed them to turn around and say, here's a pamphlet. You need ABA, call your insurance company. They'll have a list of providers. And I, I learned that that had to be done through legislation. And I would imagine that the, um, that passion that you have, and that, uh, that foresight that you had to be able to sit there and say, okay, Ava, I know that you have all these skills. I just need to figure out how, how you can start using them in a way that you are going to be able to open up your life. And I can empower you to be all that you want to be is such a driving force, which is probably why autism parent advocacy is probably one of the most vocal, outspoken groups that are out there. Um, and your experience might have been several years ago, but that movement has created autism insurance reform in all 50 states now, and that there's some access to care everywhere. What were some of the barriers or some of those blocks that you ran into along the way that you, or maybe are still running into, that you just kind of bump your head into and, like, and, and almost want to scream. Um, it, it, what are some of those experiences, just so that people can understand the challenges that went into this? When I, when I started, um, you know, and real, realizing that this had to be done through a legislative process, um, I went to the Capitol for the first time. I actually had, had gotten a few parents um, were already kind of willing and wanted to, to be a part of this. Um, and I went to the Capitol for the first time um, thinking that 
we were going to tell legislators something that they didn't know and they absolutely would want to fix immediately. Um, and I brought Ava um, as a two and a half year old who was, you know, diagnosed with autism and thinking they're, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, we have to fix this. And um, literally the first day I was told by three legislators who were very prominent and powerful in their positions, you will never pass an insurance mandate in Georgia for autism. Um, figure out a different way. Just figure out a different way. Um, and I was really shocked by that. Uh, but I did have some great, you know, advocates alongside of me. And we just decided, you know what, we're, we're just going to keep on and we're just going to keep trying. And so we found legislators who were willing to take the path less traveled, um, you know, and willing to dig in with us. And, you know, over the course of six years trying to get, you know, insurance and Medicaid um, in Georgia, you know, one of the most surprising things that always would occur would be, you know, as a parent, I would stand up and talk about Ava and, you know, talk about the, you know, the science of ABA and the outcomes and Harvard study that it saves the state $3 million and all this. And, you know, that other states had implemented it and it hadn't bankrupt small businesses. And then, you know, an insurance company lobbyist would stand up and say, you know, it's going to cost millions and millions and it will bankrupt small businesses. And, and then they would just vote no. Um, and so it, it was like, it didn't, in some ways it felt like it didn't matter what facts I had or what data I had, um, you know, but that was the, you know, that was the climate and that was, you know, the, the difficult part, you know, um, because it was about money and that really was actually probably the hardest part for me. And I, I uh, Judith Yersetti is a dear friend who really stuck that journey out with me the whole time. Um, and, you know, because there were days I would just walk outside the Capitol and cry because yeah. I was like, how can I fight something that's about money when it's about human life? Yeah. Um, so, and I've heard yeah. that. I've heard that same thing, Anna, where it's almost you, you go in with all the logical arguments that you could possibly have. All of the research might be behind you. But the thing that probably sways the legislators in the long term, you need the logic, you need the research, but the personal story, the connection to, hey, this is what it feels like to be me right now is, is just as valuable, if not more so, because it puts a face to what's going on. So, I mean, you've gone through this, you persevered through some of the, some of the setbacks some of the denials, some of that kind of feeling of I can't move forward. Um, there's still places that are battling things. ABS happens to be in, in locations where um, access to care is, is still an issue when the reform has occurred for insurance, but that doesn't mean all children can get access to care. Uh, in North Carolina, there's limitations on who the provider is. Um, in uh, Utah, there's a, a financial stipulation where, I mean, providers are receiving 60% less than what uh, other Medicaid services are in other states. Families are still missing out on this care because of these issues. How do you suggest that a, that a parent 
figure out how to have their voice heard if they feel like they're missing out on this very needed, very beneficial treatment for their child. How can they get started? That that's a that's such a great question, and I and I love that because one of the things that I learned early on and decided that it was just going to be my you know my motto, and that is that one person can make a difference, and that is the truth. Um, one person you can absolutely change the course for thousands, and and you could be that one person. And I say that to parents, you know, um, advocating for your child can. And will it will result in other children accessing care. And so, you know, being able to tell your story in honestly, I tell parents when I do advocacy trainings for parents, I say you've got to be able to tell the hardest thing that you've ever been through in your life that, you know, for the last 10 years, you've got to be able to tell that in about two to three minutes. And it and it's um, it's difficult when you start, but you can get the hang of it, you know. And so sometimes I would get in the elevator with a legislator and have literally 15 seconds before we got to the next floor to, you know, just to spill my life story and, and, and you know, get their, you know, compassion towards, you know, autism. So that's what I tell parents, you know, you've got to be a able to tell your story because you're right, Jeff, that is the most valuable piece. And that really is how we passed Davis law. Um, that, that is the truth. Uh, all, we had all the data and all the numbers in the world. It was the hundreds of parents who came and met with their legislator, go to your legislator's office or do a zoom call, you know, let them see your environment, you know, let them know that you can't go, you know, out to eat or you, you know, your child doesn't have the privileges that maybe other children do let them see, you know, your struggle. And, and that's hard. It's very vulnerable uh, for families to do that, but um, that is the best way to make a difference. And it sounds like that's really what advocacy is. It's not necessarily this mass movement. It's being confident enough to go up and share your own personal story and enough people start to share that story. It paints a picture. It's, it drafts this great canvas for us to have a vision into what life is. And that's, what, that's what's going to move people. And legislators are people. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to feel that pain and want to make the difference. So what is the, what's a big breakthrough moment that you've had? Because as much as it sounds like it's a challenge to get there, there has to be some breakthroughs, some moments of uh, success that keep you moving or else people are going to give up on the way. So what's that big breakthrough moment for you? You know, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, after I passed Ava's law, you know, that that took such a long time. And I thought, you know, um, that was going to be, you know, my, like the accomplishment that I, you know, moved on from, um, obviously through all of that, I realized, you know, passing legislation actually can be um, some of the easiest, hard to say, but it really can be. The harder part is the implementation. The harder part is, you know, working through the process. Um, And so I would say, honestly, parents call me all the time 
they're getting denied for services or they're having issues with their funder accepting their, you know, diagnostic report um, or they can't get services at a specific location or various things and getting on the phone and helping that parent learn how to advocate for their child to continue to get services and then calling me back saying, thank you so much. It's all worked out. It's those little wins. It's those little pieces that every single family gets to learn and just keep fighting and empowering them. Um, That's really what keeps me going. Yeah. And I would imagine those little wins that you're experiencing are gigantic wins for them. Um, And I guess I'm going to, I'm going to slightly pivot here just because we've, as an industry and as parent advocates is that we've made such large movement to open up uh, services, to give the opportunity for service, which meant that the industry started growing pretty rapidly. One thing that I would imagine is at the forefront of everybody's mind is, okay, now that we have this giant industry that's growing, how do I advocate for better quality in service? Okay. The growth is there. Access is there. Still need improvement, but it's there. How now do I make sure that I'm advocating for quality? And what should parents be looking at? I think that's the huge, uh, you know, the the piece that we can't lose sight of, Jeff. I think it's it's such a, you know, important piece to where we are today. Um, Because for me, as someone who has been on the ground you know, advocating for families um, with payers. Um, And I think, you know, obviously TRICARE is a great example of that where, you know, the threat to remove the benefit has been looming over TRICARE families um, for years now. And And TRICARE, uh, real fast, Anna, for everybody who's out there. I mean, TRICARE is being that they're the Department of Defense and that's military families. That's probably the biggest industry in the U.S. that uh, that people are accessing autism services through. So this is a lot of people. This is a lot of people. And it, and it obviously, you know, TRICARE was one of the first you know, or the first large, you know, payer to uh, implement applied behavior analysis. And so that really helped lead the way for a lot of us to utilize that um, in advocating in our states. And so you know, I say TRICARE as an example because for me, we cannot lose sight of the fact that we have to continue to make sure that we are protecting what we fought so hard for. And in order to do that, if we want healthcare companies to pay for applied behavior analysis, we have got to ensure that we are continuing moving forward um, to be, uh, you know, to fit within the healthcare model. And, you know, that that is, you know, obviously that's important on the side of, you know, the clinicians and the providers and organizations. And um, and really, that was one of the reasons why I made this move to join the BHCOE, uh, because, you know, their mission is really to dramatically improve the quality of service for children. And that is where we have to we have to move forward there. We have to ensure that what children are receiving, payers are not wondering, why am I paying for this? So parent advocates have put forward a lot of effort in order to be able to get access to care, but it's now the quality piece that parents are advocating around. How do parents evaluate the quality of a program? Where do they go to understand those standards? 
That's a great question. And, you know, I get calls from parents all the time um, asking me questions uh, like, um, if I haven't seen my BCBA in over a month, is that okay? And obviously my response is no. Um, if my program hasn't been updated in six months or eight months, should I be looking for another provider? Um, if my provider won't provide, you know, parent training in my home, I get all these calls, Jeff. And, and, you know, I'm, and I think that's why it's so important, you know, that we are educating parents on what quality does look like. So at the BHCOE, one of the things that I'm going to be leading is, um, parent trainings, on understanding what our standards encompass, whether it's the clinical side or just the overall safety of the place that their child is receiving services, right? And what those, what that clinic should look like, what that those clinicians training should look like and helping parents understand, of course, then they can go on our website to see where are accredited providers, who is accredited. Um, and then there is a place for them to file complaints um, that we, you know, process through um, and answer. And I think, you know, that's going to be so important in the, in the next wave of where we are ensuring. For me, Ava got really incredible service. And I want every child to be able to have that same type of quality. That service that you're creating to be able to give a platform for parents to evaluate and understand what to expect, I think is very important. I think all of that information, all that research, all that logic that you had to go in and, and talk to the legislators was based off of good ABA practices. It was based off of the providers doing what's right. And I think that the providers need to step up now because the families did all the advocacy work. The providers need to step up to make sure that we're ensuring that same quality of care on a go-forward basis. And having those standards for not only the families, but regulators and providers to be able to benchmark against, it's such an important piece for the longevity of a service that families have found so valuable. Um, so outside of this um, just overarching growth in the industry, the access to care starting to finally be there, quality being somewhat on the forefront, I would imagine that there's still a lot going on out there um, in government, in government relations and advocacy work. So what is happening currently across the U.S. in, in regards to access to care and family advocacy and, and quality initiatives that need to still be addressed? It's Thanks, Jeff. I mean, that's so important because it's important that we continue to, um, as I said, ensure that the benefit, um, you know, is 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 not seen as ineffective, um, like what Tricare is presenting, you know, and and continuing to advocate for that. So there are some states that I'm working in currently where obviously licensure is coming up whether it's facility license or whether it's, you know, individual cl clinician license, you know, for the BCBA. Um, and all those things are very important, but they're really coming up out of the context of quality of care. 
And so, you know, what we're advocating and what we're staying involved in is that conversation, you know, so that we we are able to talk about what really quality of care should look like. Um, and so that's happening across, you know, in Utah, in Pennsylvania, um, recently advocating in Florida with a, a licensure that came up there. Um, and really the question was, should ABA centers have a physician, a licensed physician um, in their practice? And, um, you know, we were able to really talk about how, you know, that really wouldn't be possible, uh, you know, and if you did that, then there would be no ABA service because a licensed clinician is likely not going to work at an ABA site, right? So just being involved in those conversations is critical. Um, and to ensure that the, the individuals who are the clinicians, you know, the psychologists, you know, who really know how to talk about quality, that they're a part of those conversations. And then I think parents still play a huge role in that. Um, you know, so those are the things across the nation. I'm, I'm involved in a national advocacy organization called NCAS, and we really focus on the federal side um, of things and ensuring that mental health parity language is including autism. And that's vital to the ongoing implementation of all of our mandates um, and our Medicaid benefits. So there's a lot going on. Um, you know, rates are another big thing, Jeff. I mean, you know, I, I think you guys have some of that experience in Utah. I know South Carolina really has had a tough fight around rates. And unfortunately, hundreds of kids are still on a wait list. Um, but, you know, we're having some really good conversations there, um, you know, and I know the families are, are really advocating for that. So, um, you know, all of these things are, are so important to continue to expand the benefit to everyone. Yeah. And I mean, all of those things that you've listed, I think, are great priorities and they're things that need to be addressed. Um, but as you're looking at things that still need to change, and you've mentioned mental health parity, which probably is giving equal access to medical necessity of care so that nobody's getting a substandard level of care and people are getting what's actually prescribed or needed and that the restrictions shouldn't be there. You're also talking about an access to care issue where you have different populations based off sociodemographic or geographic areas that are being affected through uh, rates where the rates don't cover the provider service. So providers are losing money every single time they go out or the lack of ability to be able to uniformly use a telehealth for rural areas to be able to increase access to care. It sounds like there's a lot of big issues that still need to be improved upon and advocated for out in the field. With that being said, is, uh, as a parent, because that's, that's a strong voice, the provider can make a voice for change. A parent can really be heard when change is needed. That's right. Who can the parent reach out to right now to be able to learn what that first step is? I'll say is that I would not have known how to go contact my legislator and immediately get involved in government action. So is there, are there ways that people can learn those steps? There are a lot of good local organizations. I feel like parent advocacy groups on the, on the local level um, that are really um, doing 
a great job, uh, you know, with the, with the parents within their community. Um, there's, you know, some national organizations that are, you know, continuing to provide education specifically related to issues in, you know, on the federal level in DC and creating those opportunities. Um, you know, but I think that's one of the things that I really, um, have been tasked with in my new position because for parents, especially parents who are trying to access ABA therapy, um, there really is, is, um, a lot of parents don't have access to that, you know, opportunity still. And so, um, I'm always willing to talk to any parent at any time, you know, to help them, you know, to give them guidance. And so I'm, you know, I want to say that to any parent that's listening. I'm, I'm more than happy to help you um, with any questions you have um, and, and can provide my information, Jeff. Um, but I think that's something also that, you know, where I'm at at the BHCOE, we are going to really create um, an environment where parents you know, can have the opportunity to have a lot of this information, um, you know, that they need. Um, but certainly I tell parents, you know, there are a lot of local organizations that are doing great work. Yeah, I mean, good information is power. Um, so right. if, if you have that roadmap to go and complete what it is you're hoping to achieve, it's so much easier to stay the course and to be motivated and inspired to continue. Um, I, I want to go back full circle uh, only because personally, I want to hear a little bit more about your experience. And, uh, you know, you fought hard for Ava. You fought hard for uh, a lot of people out there. But for Ava specifically, what, ha- what has treatment changed for you all? I mean, what, what is life like now that you think that maybe if I didn't get the treatment, if I, that she'd be missing out on some opportunities. What is, what's the big takeaway there? So, yeah, it's interesting how emotional and, and parents who are listening can understand things are because it's easy to remember like it was yesterday. And some days at night when I finally lay down on my pillow and I, I, it hits me, if I hadn't gotten Ava in therapy, life would be so different for her. Um, and, you know, for me, I mean, I was going to be there for her and help her no matter what. If she never learned to talk, if I, if I, you know, whatever, if I had to feed her for the rest of my life, I was so willing to do that. But I also knew that Ava wouldn't want that if she could learn how to feed herself. And you know, that she would want to be in a regular ed classroom. And that's what I had to fight. But honestly, I had to also just fight a lot of what individuals put as a cap on her um, because she was very impaired early on. And when I said I want Ava in a regular ed pre-K classroom, they literally said, no way. She cannot. She can barely talk. She's she can't go to the bathroom by herself. Um, she, you know, was a, a you know a risk of walking away. She w- didn't really run, but she was so quiet. You know, she might walk away and you would never know it. Um, and she didn't respond to her name um, at all. And so, 
I had to fight for that. And I fought very hard and, and, and we put her in a regular ed pre-K classroom because that's what our BCBA said was the best thing for Ava. Um, you know, and so looking back, I just think I'm so grateful that for, you know, whatever inside of me was willing to fight and not give up and not believe, you know, in the caps that were being put on her. You know, I just didn't believe them. I just said, nope. I mean, I think she might can do it. And until she literally proves me wrong, I will not give up. And, you know, that's how Ava got to where she's at. And and Ava works so hard. I mean, for parents who are like, how could my child be in therapy for 30 hours a week or 40 hours a week? I tell people, you know, good ABA, your child won't know they're in therapy 40 hours a week. They, they'll love their therapist. Ava loved working. She loved learning. She loved sitting at the table and tacting and then going and, you know, playing with, you know, her Thomas the Train and um, all the things she was fixated on. I mean, you know, she, it, it was, it was incredible to see the tenacity that she had inside of her. Um, and now she's in 11th grade and she got her driver's license and I still cry, you know, I don't want her to see that I cry, but I still <laughs> will like when she got her driver's license, I bawled my eyes out for like a week. Um, and then I was like, Oh my God, what if she can't do it? But she can, you know, she can. I actually called one of my BCBAs who saw her and I was like, you have to help me. Ava's going to drive. And I don't know if she <laughs> knows. And they're like, Anna, Ava can drive, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it she's in a you know, she's in a regular class in 11th grade. She's going to graduate. She wants to go to college. Um, you know, and I just think what if I had just said what the developmental pediatrician said, which was you a- ABA is not available, find a really good special ed department. What if mm-hmm. I had just done that? Life yeah. would, would be very different. And it sounds like it sounds like you feel as if that that fighting has really just opened up all the doors um, because you gave you gave the biggest gift back to to Ava, which was helping her to untap opportunity, untap potential, which is probably I could imagine. And I, I don't know Ava, but I could just imagine seeing her behind the wheel right now as a as a teenager out driving happy as could be potentially listening to some some music hopefully with not with too many people in the car but just driving right. around and you know feeling confident and, and independent and each time that i have a chance to talk with a parent it's always informative for me to understand what inclusion means and listening to what you're saying and i hear inclusion from from you being giving ava the power back giving Ava the chance to be able to untap all of this potential that she's had to be able to do everything she wants to do in this world. And sometimes like any of us, it takes work to get there. She was just working on different things. So inclusion was giving her back her life, um, which is such an important thing is being independent, being able to enjoy your friends, being able to be out socializing. If that's what Ava desired as a parent, I could say that you were her superhero. (laughs) So um, are there other final thoughts that you have for 
other parents out there who want to get involved, who want to start down the process of being able to really be that voice for their child on a go forward? You know, Jeff, I think what I try to tell parents who call me um, is it's really hard. It's really hard. I don't want to sugarcoat it for them. I don't want to act like it's a, it's a pill that you swallow and, and it's hard. I mean, you know, it's hard, especially if you have other kids too, Um, you know, and, you know, I just had to tell myself every day that it was worth it and that what, what, wherever Ava's potential was, it was going to be worth, you know, all the things that we had to do or, or not do, honestly, you know, whether that was, you know, not being able to go places um, until Ava could go, you know, whether that was tearing apart a whole room in our house and making it a therapy room and putting all the toys in boxes, because that's what the BCBA said to do. Um, You know, all of the things that, you know, we did. And I, and I really tell parents it's, it's not easy, but if you can buckle down and if you can commit, you know, to whatever that BCBA is, is telling you is the number of hours your kid needs. And you also really have to be willing to change the way you parent. And I think that was the hardest part for me because I thought I was a good mama and not that I wasn't, but all my parenting skills weren't working on Ava. And I had to let that behavior analyst teach me how to be a a parent to Ava so that, you know, she could learn. And so that's what I say to parents, you know, that's what they have to, you know, do. And it's hard. It's hard. And, and, but if you will commit to it, you will have really incredible outcomes. Um, And, and that's the, you know, what we all want for our kid. Yeah, and I, I want to empower the other parents out there. And I think that the best thing I can do to empower them right now is potentially to help guide them to some of the informational resources that you've already mentioned. Um, and potentially, like you said, being able to give them somebody to ask those questions to. So where can people find more information? Do you have a contact through the BHCOE? That yeah, I would love for parents to email me. Um, I would love for that. I can provide my email. Um, it's very easy because it's just my first name, Anna, at bhcoe.org. Um, so to A-N-N-A at bhcoe.org. I would love for parents, you know, to email me. Um, also, if they want to sign up on the BHCOE website for um, to receive notifications about webinars, they can do that. And we're going to be putting on some parent training webinars um, in the next few months that we're at and also releasing tools for parents on, you know, how do you know if your child is getting quality ABA? Um, And, you know, how do you advocate for that? How do you talk to your BCBA who is serving you if you have conflict with the program? Um, I think those are things that are very hard for parents and, and we want to empower them. So signing up for those so they can get notified will be good, but please email me. I'm happy to talk to anyone. Well, thank you so much, Anna. I just sharing your personal story today, hearing the passion and then hearing how you took that passion and put it into action 
is inspiring. And I think that it's something that as a parent is it gives the idea that there's a path forward. There's something I can do actively. So I appreciate you coming in and talking to us today and look forward to collaborating in the future. Thank you, Jeff. Talking with Anna today was both emotional and inspiring. You have a family that had worked so hard just to get care for their child, but didn't stop there. They started advocating and has turned this into a mission to be able to give information back and make sure that everybody has access to care and that everybody has access to quality care. There's still areas within this field that need to continue to improve on. We need to make sure that everybody can get what is medically necessary, what's prescribed to them without having to go through barriers. We know that families need to really understand what quality care is and how to be able to vet that out and make sure that they can have a voice in in preparing the system to be able to guarantee that what they're getting is what they signed up for. Um, And I think that this is a voice for a lot of parents to know that there is a path for them to go through to make sure that their voice is heard and that legislators want to hear their story so that change can be made. So from all of this, I hope this is inspiring people to want to go out and, and make sure that ABA and autism services remain available and that they continue to improve on what's already been laid. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all of the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS. ABS is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids, that's plural, dot com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. 